0: Indeed it does, John. Thank you very much. And right now on Fast, remember the titans, the once mighty Dow component, Intel and the reimagined industrial giant GE staging big first quarter rallies? Can you trust the rebounds? And what does this all say about the health of the market overall? Plus the battle of the bulge, a new smaller pharma company jumping into the weight loss space and investors are bidding it up, almost gobbling it up. How long can these obesity drugs slim down waistlines and boost bottom lines? And later, a retail edition of Trade It or Fade It. The sector has been flush with first quarter winners. Uh, Can they keep delivering those happy returns? In from Melissa Lee, I'm Tyler Matheson. And this is Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour. Yes. Courtney Garcia, who I've met on TV. It's great to meet you in person. Uh, Dan Nathan and Guy Adami. Always good to see you in person, Guy. Love you, Ty. And Dan, you as well. That's all right, we start with the countdown to the first quarter. close. just uh, two trading days left in the quarter. Boy, it's gone by fast. Major indexes all close the day with gains. NASDAQ leading the day, uh, leading the way up uh, nearly 2%. It is also the winner so far this year on pace to break a four-quarter losing streak. The uh, S&P midtime, hoping for a second straight quarter of gains, while the Dow is down ever so slightly. And a look at some of the biggest gainers. NVIDIA up more than 80 percent since the start of the year. Meta, Tesla, Warner Brothers all seeing outsized gains. And here's a surprise. Intel jumping more than 7 percent today. Best day since November. Now up nearly 20 percent so far this year. Also above its 200-day moving average for the first time in the year. Dan, you see this as a positive sign, what, not only for Intel, but for the market more
1: broadly? Well, I I mean, listen, when you see these sorts of rallies broadening out, we've been hearing a lot over the course of the last few months, it was kind of a junk rally, right? And so there was a lot of the names that were the hardest hit in 2021 and 2022 outperforming, and we definitely saw that in January. So here we are, we've been talking a lot about the concentration of some of these mega cap names in tech in particular as a flight to quality or stability while we had this little banking crisis. So when you get news like we had overnight. I know you guys covered it fantastically last night, this Micron report. And then you have a stock like Intel, which is somewhat correlated. Those charts, if you overlay them, they look very similar. Uh, Valuations are similar, much below their peers, much below a market multiple. And you see it above its 200-day moving average for the first time in a year and breaking out of a range that has been really solidly in for the last six to nine months or so. That is showing some broadening out of the rally. And to me, it's not going to make me chase a name like this or chase case semiconductors or the NASDAQ, but it's definitely worth noting, especially if you've been bearish, as I have, and you're starting to figure out how might you challenge that bearish thesis um, at this point in the year. Courtney, what do you make of the the moves in Intel and in GE, which is,
0: I think, its highest in four years, maybe five?
2: Mm Yeah, and these are not names that I thought we'd be talking about right now because you're seeing some of these like older school names coming back in. But I do agree. I like that you're seeing this broaden out the rally. These are not names that I would be jumping into right now. I think they still have a lot of issues. So when you look at Intel specifically, they are still going to have a lot of competitor concerns. They are still trying to resource, bring a lot of their resources into the U.S., which is going to affect a lot of their um, their capital when you look at them going forward. Um, and I don't think that's gone away necessarily. So I'm not jumping into these, but I do think it's a good sign for the general economy.
0: Guy, talk to us about yes, the sir. Fir- talk to us about the first quarter. <laughs> yes, sir. Talk to us about the first quarter and what, it, if anything, it suggests for quarter number two, quarter number three, quarter number four. It was a rally that fe- felt to me concentrated in January and and then sort of lost a lot of its bite.
3: It's coming back, though. I mean, Tim talks and about it's come the, back the, lately the, the last outperformance weeks. of the NASDAQ is something to keep in really top of mind, because as long as the NASDAQ gets going, it's going to be very hard for the broader market in the form of the S&P to do a back and fill to the downside. That's true. What do I make of it? I think people are just really looking at things and hoping that somehow magically the Fed can thread this needle. And in the back half of the year, they'll be cutting rates, which historically has been a bullish thing. I think if they were to cut rates in the back half of this year, It would be for very bad reasons, and right before our very eyes, although the S&P held the 200-day moving average yet again. We're 75 handles higher. NASDAQ never broached the 200-day moving average on the downside. So market looks good technically. I just think the fundamentals are not in place for this kind of move. We're
0: showing a chart there, uh, Tim, of of a lot of the Dow
4: laggards, and and the Dow has been the laggard. Why? Well, because the triple Qs have been outperforming, the Nasdaq 100 has been outperforming the market because the mega cap tech stocks, at least in March, were the defensive havens. I I would say we actually had great breadth until Silicon Valley Bank. And and if you actually look at industrials, they were outperforming. And and I think you can make an argument that they will here. I'm going to make an argument that at least tactically in a world where. Bear markets have many phases. I would just say I feel kind of glass half full and a glass half empty world that I think we live in. And I think tactically, you're going to continue to see, as I say, as long as you see the Qs outperform the spies, um, you're going to see the market continue to go higher. And I think that's that's kind of what we have. If you look at, um, you know, Intel, to me, is a broadening of the semiconductor space. And Intel, after underperforming semis for the first nine last nine months by 47 percent, outperformed by 17 percent, the semis in March when the semis outperformed the S&P. So back to that, I think you're you're broadening the the rally in the semiconductors. And I think a lot of this is also the geopolitics of what's going on. The U.S. Chips Act and all that we're reading about China and all the focus on Intel as being at least one of the saviors for this industry, for our country, uh, that's that's playing into Intel's hands. It's playing into its hands in terms of allocation. It's playing in terms of uh, they pulled back on the div, they reaffirmed $11 billion in, in revs, and I think actually the stock's got a lot of bad news priced into it.
1: Dan, what did you learn from the first quarter? Uh, well, you listen, you know, if we look at what expectations are for Q1 S&P earnings, they're expected to be down 6%. That's going to be the largest quarterly um, decline um, since, I think, Q3 or so of 2020, okay? And this is what we've all been expecting. We were like, we thought that numbers just weren't coming down fast enough last year, and it was kind of death by a 1,000 cuts. And so, I guess as we go into Q1 earnings, we're going to start off with the banks. Um, you know, are there any problems with any of the big money center banks as it relates to, you know, a lot? lot of the stuff that we saw with the regionals. And, and again, it's not going to be to the magnitude of, of any of the situations that we saw over the last month, but it might give pause a little bit if you are in the kind of hard landing camp of what might happen if defaults start to pick up, if unemployment starts to pick up. What does it mean for the broader economy? And then at that point, I think a lot of investors are going to start questioning a little bit about an S&P 500 that's trading about 17 times expected 2023 earnings, which is not that far below the average over the last five years. I think set has it at about 18 and a half times or so. So to me, you know, valuations, Didn't matter, you know, when rates were at zero, Um, they certainly mattered when we went from Fed funds from zero, you know, above to four four and four and a half percent. That was a large part of what we saw, the decline in the Nasdaq last year. So, again, valuations are likely to matter again, especially if we find rates kind of settle at a higher level than some people might expect. Courtney, what's your takeaway from the first quarter?
2: Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think the big thing is what is the Fed going to do this year? And ultimately, people in January were assuming that the Fed was going to ease because inflation was coming down. But then we got that January inflation report that people were worried about. And then we had the bank failures that happened, which, again, both of those things actually have been um, kind of put to put to the side. Both of those markets actually recovered because they are starting to see inflation is coming down despite January. And the banks do seem to be an isolated event, which is good. Um, but longer term, I do agree, don't know if cuts are necessarily going to be as expected, that even if the Fed does halt their hikes, that's different than them getting cut later in the year.
0: What's expected in the cuts? Soon? Like the next meeting? No.
2: No. But second half of the year. Second really, half the of bond the year. Price, Bond markets are pricing in yeah. right? But that is a very different scenario than them just pausing and us staying at this higher for longer environment, which very well could happen. And that's to Dan's point where valuations are going to be really important. So you're talking about the S&P is trading at 17 times this year's earnings. But a lot of that is if you look at the mega cap eight, those are trading in the, tw- in the 20s. Right. And so you take those out. There's still a lot that's undervalued, but it's still your big me- mega caps, mega caps, which people have been flocking to. I think are likely going to underperform if we do stay in this higher for longer environment.
0: All right, let's uh, talk a little bit more. Uh, Despite today's rally, uh, investors may want to brace for a hard landing. The Economic Cycle Research Institute finding an ominous downturn in its latest weekly data. The Institute's co-founder, Lakshman Akshetan, uh, joins us with the uh, special chart he wants to show it. Lakshman, great to see you. Uh, It's been a long time. I'm delighted to uh, be with you again. Uh, You have a chart, a leading index. You're an economic forecaster. What does this chart, we'll put the chart up, walk us through it. What does it tell you?
5: Well, as you said in the lead-in, it's a hard landing outlook. Um, We actually made a forecast uh, based on these leading indicators and other leading indicators of a recession last spring before the the Fed started hiking in earnest. On the left-hand side of the chart, you see the index coming down. It's a forward-looking index. It anticipates coincident data, the economic cycle outside your window. And that decline you see across the chart is a recessionary decline. It's pronounced, it's pervasive, it's persistent. Um, and what's quite interesting and what, why I think the frequent, this high frequency leading indicator data is so important today is because of the right hand side of the chart. You see the firming at the beginning of the year, right? January, strong. Uh, you know, jobs, we've got sales, we've got this economy. I mean, you heard no landing talk, right? Um, And what I find quite interesting is that it's given up the ghost. It was a flash in the pan. The weekly leading index this level is coming back down. In order for there to be an end to our hard landing outlook, which would be kind of looking at the bottom of the business cycle in a recession, uh, that indicator really has to make a pronounced, pervasive, and persistent upturn rate. We're not there yet. And so that means uh, it's tough for overall stocks. I'm not talking specific stocks. Overall stocks to bottom. Uh, since the Great Depression, I'm going back 100 years now, and all, all these recessions we've had, uh, they've lasted somewhere between two quarters and six quarters. Um, stocks typically bottom less than six months before the end of recession. But if there's no end of recession or no bottom in sight, I think it's still tough going for stocks for the time being.
0: Without divulging the, the ingredients of, of Coca-Cola that went into that chart, <laughs> yeah. what are the kinds yeah. of things that are the constituents that, that yeah. you put together to, to get this forecast and that chart? What, what are the kinds sure. of data?
5: Well, look, I mean, it's really about how you put it together and how you read it. When I said pronounced, pervasive, and persistent, that's very important in reading objectively that indicator. But there's government data in there. There's soft survey data in there. And there's market prices in there. I mean, the market is an imperfect leading indicator. Uh, You know, it it gets ahead of itself uh, on times, but it rarely misses. And so uh, it will participate. It wants to sniff out the bottom. Uh, And and when we take it, we diversify our risk among the leading indicators. We look at other non-equity-related indicators and see if they're moving up, too. That's not happening yet. And so, therefore, I I just say we're not there yet.
0: So final quick thought. Boil it down for me. Where and when does a recession begin? How long does it last? Or can you get to that level of granularity based on that chart?
5: Well, uh, well. I, look, I think it's imminent. It's not in a year. It's sooner than that. I think we're, we're seeing lots of symptoms uh, when you have crises, when you start to have defaults going up, when you start to have... Look, it, it's difficult to, to, to say this. It doesn't fit with the story. But for six months, you've had negative real retail sales growth. Um, you, you, you have um, the beginnings, I think we're on the front edge, of credit crunch, credit contraction. You have the good sector of the economy manufacturing and construction cycling down hard services don't have to go negative uh, for there to be a recession they don't always do that and so all of those components are there and we were you were just staying in the leaded and higher mm-hmm. for longer that's all happening too so um i would say look i'm i'm eager to forecast the recovery it's just not yet and i would remind everybody that It's very hard to recognize a recession when it's starting. The Fed didn't pivot in the fall of 08 until, uh, what was it, three quarters after the recession began in December of 07. And then the stock still went down until March of uh, 09, tricking Warren, Warren Buffett. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. All right. Let's uh, let's
0: let's lay this on the table here for whoever wants to jump in and trade this guy. Well, I mean, he makes
3: fascinating points. And what I've said for a while, Tyler, is the lag effect of the tightening cycle has not caught up to the market yet. There was still a lot of money sloshing around. It's making its way through on top of which bank failures are not bullish. I think we all can agree on that. And there will be a tightening (laughs) on the back of that just by virtue of the fact that these banks need to do it. So you're getting the lag effect kicking in. Banks are going to tighten regardless of where rates go. That's not a bullish uh, that's not a bullish backdrop in my opinion.
4: Well, I i think what lakshman is also saying is bear markets have many cycles and and this is an elongated cycle because we have so many conditions that are different than usual so everyone wants to say what's the duration of the bear market i mean we we've we're not even through central bank tightening i would argue we're certainly not through dan started to get into this i mean we say this a lot we haven't even begun to see eps revisions we're certainly not near a credit uh crisis and that leads to a liquidity crisis so unfortunately um i again i said bear markets have many cycles i see a glass half full here because I think we're in a place here where Fed has peaked, dollars peak rates have peaked, uh, inflation has peaked. And so, yeah, Fed peaked means we might get 25 bips more. But I think you can see some of the industrials continue to outperform. I think you can see, we talked about this last night, with semiconductors, they should be rallying six to nine months before really that cycle has turned. Um, where we are in the economy, on some level, I think we can't predict that. We shouldn't predict that. I think for traders that are watching this show, um, there are there are opportunities right now in some of these sectors. And again, I'll say this. This just relates to Silicon Valley Bank. GM is not a regional bank. Delta is not a regional bank. You look at these charts, these charts are going to catch up to what they did over the last two weeks. All right, we're going to take a pause here, folks, and come
0: back. Coming up, an uh, earnings alert on RH. The shares uh, are on the move after reporting results moving not in the upward direction. Uh, the conference call is underway. We will bring you the details straight ahead. Plus, here's another shocker, shares of GE, we mentioned just a moment ago, hovering near five-year highs where well, the gain, gains keep coming. We're going to trade that one when Fast Money returns. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on RH, the furniture retailer dropping after hours on weak guidance and a top and bottom line miss. Uh Uh-oh,
6: RH, Steve Kovac listening in on the conference call. What's the latest, Steve? Yeah, so not only did RH Tyler miss on the bottom and uh, top lines, it also gave weak full year guidance with the CEO, Gary Friedman, warning of an uncertain housing market in the coming months. But new factors are also to blame, like the recent baking crisis. And he also says as the Fed continues to raise rates, luxury home sales in particular are down, 45 percent down, in fact, in 2021, according to Friedman. Now, analysts wanted to see nearly three and a half billion dollars in revenue for the full year guidance. But RH only guiding up to $3.1 billion. Meanwhile, Friedman also saying RH's full year 2022 sales were down from the peak pandemic in 2021. And now here's the money quote from his letter to shareholders. Quote, data points to business in our sector getting worse before it gets better. Now for some good news from Friedman. He says the company took on $2.5 billion in debt when interest rates were low, plus cutting a lot of costs like laying off 440 employees. Now, Tyler, the Paul's just getting started. I'll be back with any updates, but we see shares down about 4% right now. All
0: right, Steve, thank you very you got much. It. Courtney, you confided to me that you're moving into a new house soon.
2: Oh, I am, yes. The
0: houses Bravo. are hard to find right yes, now. Yes, they right? are. If housing slows, can this, comp- can this company make progress? You're going to go shop there? You get out there and get a, help, a bar
7: age.
2: Yeah, and this is the tough thing. I've actually been very optimistic on housing because even though there is um, a problem with housing now that mortgage rates have risen, there is a huge demand out there. It is mainly millennials, people who are starting families and trying to buy houses, but there's not enough to go around. What's happening is affordability is a problem now because rates are higher and prices have not come down yet. So what's happening is people are either having to move down their budgets or use more of their budget to buy a house, those who are still able to. And so I think it's less people who are going to um, housing, so they have less less cash less left over housing. after the housing exactly. transaction
1: to go to to RH. Yeah, yeah. I, I would maybe extrapolate a little bit to Home Depot if we look at the guidance that they gave just a few weeks ago, and you think about just how that stock has acted. You look at consensus estimates. I'm looking at like down five percent in earnings this year, and about flat sales, and it's trading at a market multiple. I, I see like this thing could could rally or actually decline back towards those lows that we saw in the fall. That's another ten percent or so, and again. That's going to be if we start to see declines of some of the peers or some of the um, the, the names that you would extrapolate to, you know, this is an off cycle name and you could see estimates coming down and you could see the stock coming down with it. So to me, RH is not that interesting to me. Um, I'd kind of extrapolate a little bit more to Home Depot and Lowe's and we already heard from both of them and it wasn't great. Just
0: well, we didn't RH. build a segment around RH. He's not interested. No, I mean,
3: they're not. putting a great <laughs> restoration hardware in Madison, New Jersey. I'm just letting you folks know. It's
4: just like, there and sit on the couches all day? <laughs> you know what I mean? You walk in, there's a guy. Funny
3: there you, you should say yeah. that. But it doesn't mean you should buy the stock you, on the back you go, you go
0: there and you do find a lot of husbands okay. sitting yeah. on the couches. I, 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 who hasn't been there? Them. Who hasn't been there?
3: But here's here's the way I look at it. So inventory seem to be in line. Inventories is up 9.2% year over year. Unfortunately, that's against negative 14.5% sales growth year over year. So they have an inventory problem manifesting itself in margins, which was 16.5%. They were 25 percent the same quarter last year, and they're really guiding significantly lower for the year. So, although on a multiple basis you look at it, just that snapshot, it looks cheap. Question is, is it going to get cheaper from, or is it going to get more expensive from? Well, it's getting it's getting
4: more expensive, and and actually, I think it it played itself. Certainly a month ago, I mean, look, the stock's down 40 percent going into these numbers. So it it traded up to 18 and a half times. It's probably you know 17 and a half, 16 times at this point. Um, I, I think the margin issues are very important because this is a company that said they were going to defend the margin. They said they are going to defend the price points. I think it's simpler than that. I think if you go back to where the market is trading on this, at one point at its peak when people were very nervous about where we went, this the short interest on the stock was somewhere around 16 17%. It's come all the way into 8 which is the low of where we were. I think this is uh, a concern. I actually think shorts are going to go after this thing again. Short interest has actually come down, even though the stock has pulled back a lot. I don't think you need to chase it. I have a small position. I hope to it lower
0: all right there's a lot more fast to come and here's what's coming up next a ge gem shares nearing five-year highs but should you chase the blue chip surge the traders debate next plus throw it in the bag a handful of retail stocks checking out the month with some nice size gains should you stick with the winners or put these names back on the shelf You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. General Electric, GE touching its highest level in five years today before closing the session up around 1%. The stock on a tear since the start of the year, up 44%. Best-performing S&P 500 industrial, uh, far outpacing competitors like
4: 3M and Honeywell. Tim, you have flagged this move. You think it's come too far too quickly? Well, I, I think you've priced in a lot of great news. And on these spinoffs, first of all, they spun off the healthcare business. They're going to they're gonna spin off GE Aerospace, which is going to generate 7.5 billion in, in free cash flow. So some of these dynamics, I think, are very exciting. Vernova is another one. You know, you have a, a, an argument that the sum of the parts is what people are doing here. Reminding folks that also GE trading at 100 bucks... Um, is or $94, I guess, at the close, is down from 263 split adjusted. So it's not as if you've done well by owning GE over the last 15 years. It's been destroyed. Um, and it was the ultimate economic bellwether. So I, I'm just going to say um, we priced in a lot of great news in terms of some of the parts and valuations. No, if anything, you know, if you're long GE, one of the things I think is interesting after this kind of a move, and I would maybe throw this to my option guy, Dan, who doesn't want anything to do with the GE conversation, but selling <laughs> upside calls here, you know, somewhere, out three to six months this thing's not going to get away from you you've had a great run take some profit in there because it's been a big move
0: what's left of GE after they get rid of healthcare and aviation what's what's left
3: well I mean people are obviously gearing themselves up for that we had a conversation about spinoffs last night and how sometimes there's some hidden gems but you know Tim's point this is in a 23 year downtrend I think this stock topped out in April of 2000 or so north of 300 Mm -hmm. and since that point pretty long duration it is a series of lower highs and lower lows, and we're just doing that right now. Albeit, if you're short the name, it's painful. But nothing has changed effectively. In I am the great
0: chart. crippler of stocks of companies that I go to work for. I went to work for GE. <laughs> when I, when I, if I, if I leave CNBC and go somewhere short that company, right. okay? Because I did the same thing at Time Warner. Don't Tim leave Warner, CNBC. I, I hope not. I hope. Thank you. Let, let, yeah, let yeah, us not points, yeah. I went. I worked briefly for Disney at Good Morning America. Go to what Fox. You, do? you know what? I Bang. Go to yeah. go
1: to Fox. <laughs> uh, I, real quickly.
0: On the op- they got plenty of problems oh, there <laughs> on the options front.
1: Um, to your point, okay. I love so GE is going to uh, report on uh, April 25th, and if you look at the April 28th expiration um, at the money, the 94. That's where the stock is trading. That put is three and a half dollars. It's basically three and a half percent of the price between now and then and if you think that this stock has run too far too fast and there's anything lurking in those numbers that's a a good way to maybe protect your long but also make an outright bearish bet risking three and a half percent over the next month.
0: best line i've heard all week and you just you just uttered it that was was awesome all right uh coming up fat profits from slimming down the company behind one big weight loss winner is weighing in on the future of the market the details from cnbc's healthy return summit is next plus a sports betting boom Mm. wagers near the hundred billion dollar mark. So could the group be worth a gamble? The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Another check on the markets today. Stocks rallying across the board. The Dow jumping more than 300 points, but in percentage term, it was a laggard. The S&P climbing nearly one and a half percent, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq leading the gains, up nearly two percent. All three indexes on pace to close out March in the green. Meantime, Novo Nordisk jumping to a new all-time high today as demand for a pair of its weight-loss drugs continues to skyrocket. Drugmakers Top Brass speaking with our Meg Terrell at CNBC's Healthy Returns Summit today. I was there with her. Fascinating interview. Meg.
8: Well, thank you, Tyler. Of course, these weight loss drugs from both Novo Nordisk and Eli Lilly have captured a ton of attention. Jared Holtz over at Mizuho saying this is the class that investors by far are the most interested in in all of healthcare, just because of the tremendous potential here. And it's actually bringing generalist investors into the space more so than really any other therapeutic area. Callan estimates this is a $30 billion market in just the obesity side of these medicines by 2030. But one thing about these drugs is that you have to keep taking them in order to keep the weight off. And so there are a lot of questions about what do we know about the long-term safety of these medicines. We posed that question to Novo Nordisk's leadership uh, in our Healthy Return Summit. Here's what they said.
7: So, right now, the data that we are generating is, you know, two years, three years, I think, is the maximum that we have at the moment. And uh, so far, we can say that the, the drugs are well tolerated. There is no safety uh, that we are aware, aware of. We continue to monitor this.
8: So there are a lot of trials continuing uh, to be ongoing to learn more about that. But, you know, most of the tolerability issues are things like nausea and GI side effects. Uh, The other major things that people might worry about have really not shown up. That is something that continues to be watched really closely. It
0: it was interesting when I was listening to the interview and uh, the woman who was the head of science there at at Nova Nordis talked about if you discontinue the drug, how soon and or, or how rapidly you regain the weight. That was interesting.
8: Yeah, it was something I was really curious about, uh, and it's something that we've sort of heard about anecdotally with these medicines as well. I was curious to know just what the studies show on average, but what that looks like. And she really pointed out it's different for everybody, but they have found, you know, some people even gain back more than they lost with the, with the mm-hmm. drugs. And so, of course, that's an incentive that's good for the company for people so to keep taking
0: them. This is by no means uh, a, a, a exclusive purview of Novo Nordisk. Uh, Viking Therapeutics getting in apparently to that market.
8: Yeah, we just got some data from them yesterday, drove their stock up quite a bit. It was extremely early stage, just phase one, but it looked pretty positive, Uh, looked potentially competitive. They're going to have to run larger trials, but that was on a drug that's similar to Eli Lilly's. Um, And they also said that they have an uh, oral drug, a pill that they're testing now in phase one. So entering the market, it's going to be a question of does every big company need to be in this space because the opportunity is just that large. All right.
0: Meg Terrell, thank you very much for more on where the weight loss market stands today. Let's bring in the aforementioned Jared Holtz. He's a healthcare equity strategist with Mizuho. Jared, so what does a Novo trial results mean for the weight loss market as a whole? Very rosy uh, picture painted by the two examples that Meg Terrell spoke to today.
9: Tyler, yeah, it's been probably the, the one market uh, that investors continue to talk about as being one that they really have a lot of confidence in for obvious reasons. It's The patient population is massive. Um, the drugs are working really, really well. All of the trial results so far from Novo and Lilly and some others that are in the fray as well um, have also inspired a lot of confidence that this group continues to do well as we move towards the uh, second half of the decade here.
4: Hey, Jared, it's Tim. So you talk about the addressable market size for, for this and, and the competitive landscape. I mean, is, is, is Lilly, uh, to me, kind of the front runner, if not necessarily because of the development of the drug, but and I think from an investment perspective, just because of the broader base of their entire uh, pipeline and the EPS growth that they're getting, I guess because I feel they are less reliant on this outcome that seems to be very hot and heavy right now.
9: I think so, Tim. I mean, Lilly has a you know very prominent growth rate um, in terms of revenue, especially compared to the other U.S. pharma stocks. I think that's one reason why it's it's held its multiple as well as it's had. I mean, it's not even in the same ballpark as Pfizer, Amgen, Gilead, et cetera. And part of the reason is it does have a broad-based revenue stream aside from just uh, the obesity drugs that we're talking about. And in, in the meantime. These obesity drugs are getting bigger and bigger as a percentage of revenue. So they probably are are in a position where they can likely win either way. So I'd agree with that perspective, just given the the total um, totality of their business run. Jared, it's
3: interesting. Obesity is one thing, but, well, I mean, there are different levels to this as well. What if the insurance companies magically say this game is over, we're not doing it anymore? Does that sort of punch a
9: hole in this whole thesis? I mean, it's not going to help at all. Right. Like that's the one uh, negative commentary surrounding the space, which is once these revenue numbers get much higher, much more meaningful. It's obvious that it's going to be a target for insurance companies to say, wait a minute, you know, we need to be much more selective about who gets these drugs. But on the other hand, you know, what we're seeing so far is there's some off label use, but there's a lot of private pay. There are a lot of people who have money. That feel like for, you know, a month or a year or multiple years, depending on how much of this drug that they need, they're willing to pay the price out of pocket. And I think Novo is on the record saying that they feel like in globally there are more than 500 million patients that are you know eligible or are classified as obese. So even if you take a tiny percentage of that entire pie and those people pay out of pocket, it's a massive market. That's why we've seen... Whoa numbers thrown out at the end of the decade in excess of 30 billion. I've seen some analysts over 50 billion. It's possible. But yes, if if insurance companies cut back, um, clearly that's going to be something the street talks about for the next couple of years.
0: What do these drugs, uh, drugs, uh, Jared, cost per month?
9: Well, I mean, for for insurance purposes, you know, you're seeing some of the commercial payers um, pay about $50 a month. I mean, there's other statistics out there that average more than a thousand a month it really depends on what your plan is and if you're paying through insurance or if you're pay- paying privately but even if you're paying privately out of pocket it's about a thousand maybe a little bit over a thousand a month and I've seen prices continue to come down um, but it is a little bit of a moving target
0: well that's what that's what I was I wondered because I had heard a thousand a month if you pay privately for them Jared great to have you thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. All right. Let's trade this opportunity. Courtney, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think long term, the, the addressable market here is huge. Yeah, I've heard anywhere from 30 to 60 billion dollars. And just to put that in perspective, Humira right now is your largest sale um, drug, and that's at 20 billion dollars a year. So this is so much bigger than the largest drug that's out there. But I think it's going to take a while to get there, especially as we need insurances to cover it. I think for that reason, I would look at some of your other pharmaceuticals, like you pointed out, Lilly, which has a much better diversified revenue source. So I wouldn't just specifically go into Novo for that reason. Dan?
1: You know, it's funny. So Jared just said about Lilly holding that multiple this year, 2023, consensus estimates for earnings and sales are only expected to be up 7%, but that jumps to about 20% yeah. uh, plus in the out year. And when he talks about holding that multiple right now, it's trading about 38 times this year, about 28 times next. And so if that number for some of these drugs, you know what I mean, like ends up being towards the higher end, there's better insurance sort of terms, that sort of thing. I mean, Lilly looks like, and if you just look at it on a five-year basis, it is lower left, upper right. It's held that uh, uptrend, And it deserves it. Like a boss. Wouldn't you say, Tim? I, I always say like a boss. Yeah. In fact, it's one of my favorite expressions. Yeah.
4: And, and I, I would say in Lily's case, they're giving you 20% EPS growth, though. And that's what they're projected to do. That's why they're getting a multiple that's twice what Pfizer is. And I, I kind of think they deserve it, even though I'm long Pfizer. Alrighty.
0: Like a boss. Option traders betting the surge in anti-obesity drugs means good things are coming for other big therapeutics developers. Uh, Kelly Intelligence CEO Kevin Kelly joins
6: us now with the action. Explain what you're looking forward to seeing. Hi Tyler. Well, yeah. Today we actually saw an Amgen bullish activity. You had about 1.84 times the amount of calls traded than puts, and albeit it was on you know lower volume than we've seen over the past week. But they're going to be reporting earnings over the next month, and there's an anticipated 3.3% move uh, into that earnings. And most of the volume uh, today and the most active contract is the front month $245 call, and the bar- largest trade today was about 100 and twenty five contracts and somebody paid about two dollars and thirty cents a share for that. so it's seeing upside continuing into earnings over the next month.
0: All right Kevin, thanks very much. we appreciate your time you. tonight and for more options actions be sure to options action be sure to tune into the show Friday at 5 30 pm.
4: Eastern time. I'll be here. For I'm, that. I was gonna say I'm gonna make a special guest. You going be there? i yeah, for that. that. I, if, no if, here. This is gonna be. Yeah, it's gonna be. It could not be the best one ever. All right. So oh, please. I mean, like uh, a little if Tyler. If Tyler's here, it's my point. No, I, I have nothing a to do. A couple with of retail it. stocks yeah. surging in recent weeks, but
0: are the names still worth holding? The traders will decide in a game of trade it or fade it. That's next. And throughout March, we celebrate Women's Heritage. Here's one of the creators of the Female Founder Collective.
7: I
8: always thought that someone else would notice uh, something we needed. But what I've realized is we have to demand what we need and we have to have a bit of fearlessness about it, even if we're scared. Whether that's, you know, demanding a better work environment or a better pumping environment or equal pay for, you know, the same amount of work and experience. No one's going to do this for us we have to be a little bit uncomfortable stick our neck outs and truly fight for what we want and band together with other women so that we can make it happen
7: faster
0: welcome back to fast money everybody spring is in the air and the consumer stocks are back lululemon shopify mcdonald's pvh are big winners. They're all big winners so far this month, but should you add these names to your shopping cart, what better way to find out
4: than with a little game of... Now we love games. Trade it or fade Fade it. it. Trade it. fade. They don't want... (laughs) I I, I I thought there was... Somebody needed to talk that one through. I thought there were vocals there. There should be, and my vocals were terrible. Trade it or fade it. That's <laughs> right. what we're going to play
0: right, right. now. Exactly. First up is Lululemon. The stock soaring today uh, after earnings, but can the gains keep on court uh, keep on coming? Courtney, mm. trade or fade? Uh,
2: I actually would trade this. I think really, you're seeing their core businesses continue to be strong. There's clearly not a demand issue here. They have a really strong balance sheet, over $350 million in cash, no long-term outstanding debt. And I think they're likely going to expand internationally. So this recent uptick we had, maybe some of that gets pulled back. But longer term, I think it's a good name to be in.
3: Guy? Yes, sir. I would say, listen, the quarter was good. They finally got inventories back together where they should be. So they seem to have that under control. The problem, of course, is as you get towards this 380 level. We failed there in April of last year. We failed there in December. My sense is we'll trade there and fail again. So... Courtney's probably right long term and the short term, I think he takes some profits.
4: I tell you, probably.
0: when you go in those stores, they are crowded. They are crowded are like an Apple school? store. I bought my wife a birthday present there
4: last yeah. week. Well, she does she know? Does she, is it a surprise? I mean, or
0: is it her Not birthday? Anymore. Well, if she, she already knew had it, what her birthday was. Well, I, I know that, but I didn't know if we had it because she's watching the show yeah, and she, she watches. She's watching it, so the show right now. Uh, yeah. Uh,
4: Anyhow, PVH, the stock rallied yesterday. It's up six percent this month. Tim. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fade this one. I, I think the management uh, ex- <clears throat> the sentiment coming in here. There you go. Was very there negative. I think they struck a decent tone in terms of where their outlook was and where they're conservative and and talked about DTC and international. Valuation, not so good. And in other words, relative to our peers, I think there actually are places to go in retail. It's not a PVH, despite the Calvin's guy. I mean, I know. PVH, you know, Dan, which I always want to call um, PVC.
1: Uh, listen, here's the deal. It gapped up 20% on that beaten raise, and Tim makes a great point about like positioning into order, expectations into it. So that is what caused the pop here. The stock gave um, some of those early gains today. It was gapped up, made a new high today. Um, let's see if it fills in that gap. I think PE to growth, I think, looks pretty reasonable here, especially if the worst is behind that and all the issues that they've had. So to me, let's see if it fills in a little bit of that gap. And Was I, that
4: a reluctant trade it. trade it out of you?
1: Yeah. Man. I mean, obviously, what, what am I going to do? I'm just like going to pound the table, buy everything here, people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, come on. I'm, Usually I'm like, I'm, like a, a okay. across the board faded, right? I know. Let's go
0: to Shopify, the stock gaining more than 13%. Courtney, your turn.
2: Um, I would fade this, uh, mainly on really their lack of profitability and free cash flow, which I think is going to be a problem for them. And even though they are actually growing faster than some of their peers, it's in their lower margin businesses. So I don't know what that catalyst is going to be to bring them to profitability. So I would fade this.
1: Dan? is a shop, right? This shop. Um, Yeah, to your point, I think that you want to see a path to gap profitability. They haven't demonstrated that yet. So I'd be trading it on a pullback, Mm. and then any sign of them moving closer towards profitability, I think you want to buy this one with both hands.
0: McDonald's, fast food name near an all-time high. Guy, you are big on this one. For a long
1: time,
3: as Tim has been, so I'm trading this sucker every single day. People have shot against McDonald's on valuation since we started the show. 16 and a half years ago. But you know what? It's been the wrong way to look at it. Actually, as a technology company, you did a great hit years ago. exhibiting the kiosk. Exhibiting just
4: that. No, nah, we board. don't have time for that B-roll. But, I mean, Royale with cheese, wave it in. I think you stay long this one.
0: All right. You've been a big fan there. Good for you. Great All it. righty. Coming up, a betting breakthrough, sports betting revenue nearing a major milestone. But is this trade worth the gamble? We will debate that and more when Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. God, I wish you'd been here for the off-camera off stuff. It, it, it was really good. Sports betting approaching a major milestone in the U.S. Total wagers expected to pass $100 billion this year, up 45% from just last year, 2022. That is according to a new report from Insider Intelligence. Let's get more now with Contessa Brewer. Hi, Contessa.
7: Hi there, Tyler. Yeah, Americans will legally wager nearly $140 billion this year on sports. That's, as you said, 45% growth from last year, marking the first time we will have surpassed that $100 billion mark. The forecast comes from research provider Insider Intelligence. The report released today concludes double-digit growth will result in sports betting handle or the total amount wagered exceeding $200 in just two more years. And sports betting revenue is climbing as well, expected to surpass $10 billion for the first time this year. And the research indicates players are betting more. 94% of the time, that betting is online. Massive growth in that arena. All of it, though, comes with increasing scrutiny. The American Gaming Association just announced this week an updated code of ethics where marketing is concerned. New prohibitions on marketing around colleges and name image likeness deals with amateur and college athletes, banning outright any use of the term risk-free advertising in uh, risk-free rather in the advertising. And all the AGA members, Tyler, have pledged to abide by this code. It goes into effect July 1st, so it doesn't affect the partnerships that are already in place for what you might see with March Madness, but you will expect to see those changing as we move forward in the future.
0: All right, Contessa, thanks very much. Let's trade uh, the various names in this area. It is a competitive area. Uh, FanDuel is number one in market share, I believe. They're owned by, a Brit- I think, a British company. I uh, can't remember the name.
4: Well, if you look at what's happened, there has been some rationalization of, of amongst the players. And so growth at all costs and competing at all costs and the cash burn that doesn't go so well in the environment we're in. So I actually have a long position in DraftKings. And, and if you look at where uh, they've been talking about their cash burn, it's getting a little better. It's not getting enough better. Um, and I think the size of the addressable market is interesting. This is a tough stock to own in this tape at a time when capital is not free uh, and they're not making money.
0: We just looked at uh, the chart of Flutter. That was that's the parent, I believe, of uh... Of, of, of Fanduel, flutter. and it's done very well. I like that, flutter. the stock has done very well. Of course it has. Look at the, You like what? any of these names? There it is. Well, I'm going to bro-
3: broaden it out. I mean, Las Vegas airport traffic is up 24.9 percent year over year in February. Macau gaming revenue is up 33 percent year over year in February. Casinos are killing it. Wynn Resorts trading at 108 here was recently 115. Multi-year high, still cheap in this environment. So yeah, I still think the casinos work. Look
0: at the year-to-date numbers there. As we see, uh, we, you just mentioned Win up 32 percent MGM, you got a you got a stake in this area, or
2: I don't. You know That's it's funny. Every time I come on the show, my husband tells me my final trade should be sports gambling. I yeah. love sports gambling. I have never done it just because, uh, to Tim's point, I mean they're just unprofitable right now. I don't think of this kind of environment it's what you want to be in. But I do agree with Guy. If you want to be in the space, you want to be in some of your casinos that have um, a better diversified revenue streams. So think about like, not a just. Sports betting. Correct. So look at, exactly. look at some
0: of the ones that, that go uh, into other areas as well. Okay, folks, we are going to take a pause and come back with some final trades. We'll be right back. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn with baseball season starting, what, tomorrow, Tim? Yeah. Let's
4: go, Mets. I mean, they're the team that owns New York, right, Guy? So uh, Intel. Intel's been owning the semi-space. We talked about the outperformance after a long period of significant underperformance. Double bottom at 24.50. I think you ride this thing higher. We began like there. Like the Mets. We, we like end the Mets. there. Go Mets. Go. All right. Go Hors. Hors. What do you say?
2: Uh, J.P. Morgan. This has sold off recently, especially with the banking news. But I think you want to take this as an opportunity. I think they're well positioned here, especially before their earnings come out in, here, uh, just in a couple weeks.
0: All right. J.P. Morgan. A call there.
1: Yeah, that little story is powerful. And again, you know, that chart, it held that line like a what guy? Like a boss. Like a boss. And, you know, that valuation growth at a reasonable price, I think.
0: All right, so Eli Lilly, and bring, yeah. bring it home for you. I'm us. going to bring it home for you. You know, the Monkees
3: had their Davy Jones. Yep. Well, here on CNBC's Fast Money, we have our own Davy Jones. Happens to be his birthday. Happens to be our director back in E.C., so oh, I want to give a big birthday I shout I sit out. right
0: next to him. Well, wish him a happy AJ, birthday. Happy
3: birthday, buddy. I mean, come yeah, on, Jones. Tyler. That's Jeez. right. Still on Mount back Rushmore. in the house. Uh, Amgen.
0: Amgen, yes, yes sir. sir. Okay, that sounds great. Thank you all very much for watching Fast Money. Fun to be with all of
5: you, and Mad Money starts right now.